0: You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning and we are just so thankful for the privilege to, to to hear your word. God, there may be many things that are upon our minds and things that are weighing heavily upon us, but we pray. For your Holy Spirit, God, to enable us to to hear your word, to be focused upon the things that you have given to us. But Lord, we we pray more than just for attention. We pray, God, for your spirit to do a mighty work in our hearts, to stir within us, God, the, the embers of love for you. God, that you would strengthen our faith and encourage us in the work that you are doing in our lives Oh, Father, I thank you and I pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, of course, one of the things you do in Bible study is you, whenever you read a passage, you, you look for words that sort of repeat themselves over and over in a particular section of a Bible passage. And as we come to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, Paul keeps repeating this word, mystery, mystery, mystery. But what is a mystery? Well, maybe you like to read murder mysteries. And so, as you think about it, mystery is something that's impossible to understand. That's the whole reason it's a mystery, right? Because it's beyond us at that particular moment in time to be able to grasp whatever the situation is. You know, who murdered so-and-so or whatever the mystery might be. But the way that Paul uses this word, the way that the New Testament uses it, a, a mystery... At its most basic level in the New Testament is something that is concealed, something that is hidden and has now been revealed. So a mystery is not so much something that's beyond our ability to comprehend as much as it is simply that God hasn't revealed it to humanity yet. And Paul says in verse 3 that the mystery was made known to him by revelation And that's what he's writing about briefly. In other words, God revealed or he showed Paul something that God didn't reveal to Isaiah or to Ezekiel or to Jeremiah or Moses or any of the Old Testament prophets as we see in verse 5. And that is namely that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel as we read in verse 6 here. Now, you might, if you're a good student of the Bible, and you've read a lot, you may say, now wait a minute, God did tell those prophets that? I mean, even clear back in Genesis, in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis 12, we read how God says that he's going to bless all the families of the earth. You know, so, surely that would include the Gentiles, so... You know, what do you mean that they didn't know that it was concealed? Well, yes, that that is true. There's actually many places in the Bible where you sort of get this hint that God is including the Gentiles. But in Jesus' day, as they thought about uh, Gentiles being brought into the fold, a good New Testament Jew would have thought that the way that a Gentile would have been brought in is if they had become a Jewish convert. It wasn't that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they would have to come in through sort of the Jewish branch of of the religion. And yet Paul is saying, no, that's not how it's done. Actually, both Jew and Gentile come to God through faith in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. And of course, that's what he's been talking about in chapter two. But now as we come to chapter three, Paul says in verse one, for this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he stops. He just stops abruptly in in what he's saying. It's obvious that he's going to say something further, but he pauses. And he doesn't really say what he was going to say until verse 14. Now, in some of your English translations, after verse 1, you may have a couple of dashes or one big long dash to show that pause that's there but if you look at verse 1 it says for this reason and then you look at verse 14 if you have the English Standard Version it also says for this reason in other words he had started to say his train of thought and then he stopped and he thought of something and it's not until he gets down to verse 14 that he really picks up and says what he had planned to say in the first place and that was he was going to pray for the church he was going to pray for these Christians But something popped into his mind that that caused him to digress. Now, now what is that? Well, if you look down at verse 13, you see Paul says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. In other words, Paul realizes that the Ephesian Christians are concerned that he's in prison. And he doesn't want them to worry, but to see that his imprisonment is a good thing. Now, I don't know how you guys would feel, but I mean, think about this. This is their pastor. I don't know how you would feel if all of a sudden you heard uh, one Sunday that Pastor Rick's been arrested. You know, it wasn't for drunk driving or anything, but he was arrested because he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And they hauled him off to the clink. But there was concern that these Ephesians had. And so Paul, even though he was getting ready to pray for them, because of his pastoral heart and his concern for a congregation which just ought to be the attitude of every pastor towards our congregation you know he begins to address their concern but we also see that in paul's digression a description of a person that's been changed by the gospel ministry what does it look like when a person's heart has been changed by the good news of jesus christ And we see that it reveals to us the impressions that a true calling leaves on one's life and heart. And first thing that we see in the first six verses of this passage is that anybody whose heart's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, their hearts are captured by God's goals. That the focus of their life not becomes their own goals in life, but they become God's goals when compelled by a true calling of God a believer is captured by God's goals although paul is under house arrest in rome and and he doesn't he doesn't consider himself a prisoner of rome or even of the jewish officials that originally accused him and had him arrested instead he identifies himself how look at verse 1 paul a prisoner of who Christ Jesus in this statement we see that A person who is called by God to believe in Him is willing both to die to self, to the things that we want, but also to live to others. Uh, Let's look at that a little bit more carefully. You know, in in the American modern church, it seems like for the most part, uh, Christianity is about how to make your life better. You go to a lot of churches. That's what the sermons are about. You know, how you can have a more successful marriage, how you're going to have better finances, you know? It's almost like all you need to do is take a little bit of Jesus and sprinkle it over your life and everything will be good. You know, because of Jesus, my relationships are better. Our work will be more profitable because of Jesus. Or if we want sound financial footing, all we need is Jesus. Now, I know that that's not what you guys think. I know that you don't don't believe that, but you know, but I do wonder sometimes if we aren't tempted to think that, Lord, if I have obeyed you and, and, and if I have followed you, that things ought to sort of work out the way, you know, in a good way for me. You know, we understand that there's going to be difficulties. We understand that there's going to be trials in life. But if those trials linger, if those difficulties go on and on and on in our life, that sometimes that just presses in upon our faith. And it challenges us. It's almost like we have subconsciously, I don't think consciously, but subconsciously in our mind, sort of this line that I ought to suffer this much for Jesus. But if God pushes me beyond that, then I begin to say, God, what are you doing? Why? And so why we don't, wouldn't think that you just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus and your life's okay. There is a sense in which we can be tempted to, to, to think that our lives ought to be better, and if they're not, then we could be tempted to be bitter towards God. And Paul's life shows us that this mentality uh, with God is, is, is not right. This whole idea that Jesus will make your life better. You know, Paul wasn't powerful and wealthy. Uh, his life was definitely not easy. He was whipped and he was stoned with rocks. Not with drugs, but with rocks. He was shipwrecked. He was, he was put in prison uh, he was close to the Lord and yet his life was not easy. And so this idea that Jesus makes your life easier would have been very foreign to Paul. And actually Paul had a very proper view of himself uh, as we begin in verse 3. Now kids, do you remember what, who Paul was before he became Paul? What his name was? Remember, his name was Saul, right? That's what you're going to say, weren't you? I could tell. You're going to say his name was Saul. And he was, a, he was a religious leader. Now, just think about that name. If you were a good Jew, if you were called Saul, that would be something because the first king of Israel's name was Saul, right? He was a mighty man, very tall. The Bible describes him as a man who stood above everybody else. And uh, David couldn't even wear his armor. You know, he was such a, a, a big guy. And David was such a small guy. And so, you know, here's Saul's name being Saul. But then after God uh, got a hold of his life, God changed his name to Paul. Do you guys know what Paul means in the Latin? It means small. It means small. Which is an apt description of Paul's view of himself. As he sees himself as the greatest of sinners. You know, Paul viewed himself as insignificant, but he viewed God as big. But this is oftentimes the opposite view that we oftentimes have. You know, when it comes to how we view ourselves, we often focus on the things that make us important in the eyes of others. Do you not? I mean, do you not like try to help people to understand how really wonderful you are? If they could just get that, and just in case they missed it, you'll be more than happy to give them, throw them a few bones so they can see. And, and you know, so often we are seek, seeking to be loved and accepted by others. We want to be cherished. We want to be appreciated and, and valued by other people. But we don't realize that these things only come as we seek our significance in Jesus Christ that people cannot give us what our heart's desire needs, at least not completely. To some degree, maybe yes, but not completely. That only comes in that relationship with Jesus Christ. So the work of the gospel is for us to see how big God is and how small and dependent we are. Now, nobody had to tell Paul that life was difficult because... Here he was at one time when he was Saul, he was a powerful religious leader. As a matter of fact, he had soldiers at his command, kids. So as he went to uh, go to Damascus and other places, he would take these soldiers with him and have those soldiers arrest Christians and put them in jail. And yet now here, ironically, he is sitting in a Roman prison, chained to two guards on either side of him, and uh, suffering great difficulties, and writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. You see, a genuine call by God to believe in him requires a willingness to forsake personal privilege, to, to do those things that, that we want to do. So for Paul, he was not a prisoner of Rome, uh, placed in prison wrongfully and accused and arrested, Uh, That may be what the external circumstances of his life were, but he understood that he was there because of the gospel. And from prison, Paul could write to the churches that he had planted and he could encourage them. We also know from other letters that Paul wrote that he also shared the gospel with those guards that were chained to him. Could you imagine that, being chained to the apostle Paul? You're thinking he's the prisoner, but you're the guard and you can't get away. You know, you can't get any farther than that chain. And he just keeps telling you about Jesus Christ. But Paul understood this. But for the Ephesians, uh, they couldn't understand why God would allow their beloved pastor to be put in jail. Paul had taught these Christians that if they were blessed in Jesus Christ, that they were his children, that he taught them of the glories of following Jesus Christ. So you can understand why they might be confused. They don't understand why God's not fixing this situation. But, you know, this could be hard for us as well. I know that, as I said earlier, I know many of you have gone through difficult circumstances right now, and it would be easy to say, God, what are you doing? Don't you love me? Why are you putting me through this? And you might be tempted to worry. It's so easy to focus on what we want and yet don't have and to question God because we don't have what we think we ought to have. And the reality is is that God is at work in our lives each and every day. It may not be in to, to give us what we want. His purposes may be greater. Than what it is that we want. But he is nonetheless at work in us. And so Paul writes to these Ephesians. And he encourages them in verse 13. Don't lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Which is your glory. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So Paul is rejoicing in his circumstances. Because Christ is being known through his difficulties. Do you think of your life in that way? Do you think of your life in terms of the gospel, in terms of of how it allows you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, whether the circumstances are good or bad? It's not always easy to understand God's purposes and why he does what he does. And as a finite creature, we don't always understand the higher purposes of God, but he calls us to trust him and his work as through our lives and so this morning the question that we are confronted is is, do we trust Jesus but he not only captured us uh, not only as we put faith in in Christ are we captured by God's goal of dying to ourselves and the things that we might want but we're also uh, compelled to willingly love other people and we see that in verses 3 through 6 But even back at verse 1, maybe I should point this out first, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on your behalf, Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul's focus here was not only not upon himself, but his focus was upon others. Paul sees himself a prisoner and a steward for the sake of these Gentiles, that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ now these were uh, the words also of the testimony of a missionary that I read about this week. He was uh, with New Tribes Missions. His name was uh, Martin Burnham. And he was killed in the, the Philistine. Uh, in the, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Philippi. Um, yeah, thank you. Anyway. <laughs> But, uh, what happened was is there was a member of a terrorist group members of a terrorist group that that held him and his wife as prisoner for three hundred and seventy six days and During that time, Martin was oftentimes uh, used as a servant to carry the loads across uh, of the terrorist across difficult terrains and uh you know even though he was becoming increasingly weak because they weren't feeding him there were times when there would be relief agencies that would get food into them and and the uh, burnhams would take their food and they would share it with their captors not only that at one point in time martin even repaired a satellite phone for uh, his captors and when his wife sort of questioned him about that he said well the bible says that we are to serve the lord with gladness so let gladness so let's serve him all the way with gladness and and you could tell that Martin's gospel outlook on the circumstances was getting to his captors because it got to the point where at night they would have a debate on who had to chain him up at night and they didn't want to do it because every night when they would chain him up he would say thank you and and then and you would look at that and you'd say well how how could you have such joy you know in in such difficult circumstances and and the answer lies in the fact that every evening Martin would also have the opportunity to share the gospel with his captors, a lot like what Paul did. Well, he was a he was living for them. He was living to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that he came in contact with. And so living for others involves a willingness to share the revelation of the mystery of the gospel that we have received as we read in the scripture. And so Paul is now responsible as a steward for this gospel that's been given to him to go and to share that. And as he does share it and others come to faith in Jesus Christ, then Paul sees that they are now one with him. That once they might have been hostile, they might have been his enemies. And that's a part of the the gladness of the gospel that Martin Burnham shared Because as he spoke with these captors about Jesus Christ, he understood that if they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they would go from being his captors to being his brothers in Jesus Christ. And he could not think of any greater blessing for them than for Christ to to save them, to take those barriers down. And likewise, as we are captured by God's grace, we begin to see our lives not As a way to satisfy ourselves, but in in relation to how we serve others as well and live for others. What greater way to live for others than to share the hope of Jesus Christ. So, we see that not only are we captured by God's grace, but we are also enraptured by God's grace. In verses 7 through 9. You know, it's it's true that self-sacrifice and concern for others are important and necessary aspects of uh, the Christian life. But even unbelievers are willing to sacrifice uh, themselves for any number of causes. So what makes Christianity different? Well, let me suggest to you that it's because we are encaptured by God's grace in saving us. That we understand that the only reason that we are saved is not because we are better, but because Christ has saved us. Paul reminds his readers that he became a servant of the good news by the grace of God and the working of God's power in his life. We see that in verse 7. So kids, back to to Saul. Remember Saul is on the road to Damascus. He has soldiers with him. He's going to go to the church there in the city of Damascus and he's going to arrest the Christians. And he's on the road And as he's traveling that night, all of a sudden there's this bright light. And this light is so bright that it blinds the Apostle Paul. And he hears this voice. And this voice is the voice of Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus Christ you see, God reached down and he turned this man from being Saul, the persecutor of Christians, to being Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, through no power or decision of his own. It was sheer grace that transformed Paul. And upon writing this letter uh, to the Ephesians, Paul still sees his life as a gift of God and is humbled as a result. Look at verse 8. He said, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This is a man who was well educated. I mean, he was like the top of his class in terms of Pharisees. Very brilliant man. And yet he sees himself as the least. He goes, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. God's grace in calling Paul to be a servant stays with Paul even his whole life. Even when he gets to the end of his life, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul describes himself as the greatest of sinners. He never gets beyond that fact that the only reason he is doing what he's doing is because of God's grace. And to those who are truly called to faith in Jesus Christ, they are so enraptured by the grace of God towards them that even when other people attack them, they don't have any sense of self-righteousness or indignation because they realize that they are only in the position they are in because of God's undeserved gift, because of His grace. That the difficulties of their circumstances, the lack of worldly comfort that they might have, their lack of recognition in the world doesn't hinder them from the joys of proclaiming Jesus Christ because they understand the great privilege that God has given to them. Now that can be difficult for us in our human weakness, can it not? Even though we may be willing to make great sacrifice and to serve others from time to time, perseverance in such a a call and doing so out of response to grace, it will test our faith resources and push us beyond our limits. I mean, I've known many young people who will sacrifice uh, for serving Christ for a period of time, but then when difficulty comes, then, then they stop. Or pastors... You know, pastors can't limit their desire to serve a church only as long as people in the congregation are pleasant and the salary is sufficient. There needs to be perseverance. But how many pastors leave a church when it gets hard to go on to something much easier? Some of us may seek to serve the poor only as long as we don't have to become poor ourselves. That God doesn't take us too far, but in Christ's But in Christ's service, we cannot limit our calling to institutions or positions that that don't require long hours or financial pressures or dealing with difficult boss or uh, difficult peers at work. No genuine calling is without genuine pain. But we endure such willingly because those truly called are so enraptured by God's grace towards them that they can't help but proclaim it. But that grace Paul says is not only shown to us as Christians but also to the church as well. Look at verses 10 through 13. Paul says that the reason that he will make the plan the plan of mystery of the gospel or make plain the mystery of the gospel is that God's intent as we read in verse 10 is that through the church the manifold witness of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, Paul describes how the church is a witness to God's glory. All creation, even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, will see the manifold wisdom of bringing together into one redeemed body those who were different from one another. And that this unity that comes in the church is according to to his purpose, as we read in verse 11. You see, Paul is sort of echoing what he said back in chapter 2, in verse 7, where he talks about how we were dead in our sins, but he made us alive in Christ. He raised us up, and then verse 11 says, so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, so that we might receive that, but that he also might proclaim those riches that all of creation would know that. And Paul is saying, that's not just you as individuals, that is the church. So, you ever read the Bible, and you wonder sometimes what they're talking about, about the heavens, the stars, the sun and the moon and the stars declare the glory of God. What does that mean? How does the sun or the stars say anything, kids? That just doesn't make sense, right? Well, they... Proclaim the glory of God by simply being who God's created them to be. As the sun comes up every morning at God's command, it declares the glory of who God is. As the birds fly and chirp, they are declaring the glory of who God is. In the same way, as we are the church, as you see those who are different coming into the church, and as you see that love for one another, that care for one another, we declare the glory of God and how He has broken down the dividing walls where we might speak different languages, we might come from different cultures, we might come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, but when you come to the church, we're just brothers and sisters. We just love each other. There's nobody looking down on somebody else, but we are here to give of ourselves to love. And so God is glorified. In June, 2002, there was a, a group of nine uh, coal miners that sort of made national headlines. Uh, during a 77-hour ordeal, uh, these men, these miners, were trapped underground in a, in a cavern in western Pennsylvania that began to flood. and uh, But all nine men were rescued. And after that rescue, you'd see signs everywhere. I don't know if anybody remembers this or not, but you'd see signs, Nine Alive, Prayers Answered. You know, it was a a big deal for for our country. Um, But as the days went on, and there were more and more details known about what happened in those 77 hours, uh, it really actually began to be even a bigger deal. Because what happened was, is those men were underground, and all of a sudden the water began to rush in, and so they tried to escape by going up the the elevator shaft, but they couldn't. They were the water uh, cut off their escape. But at the same time, they were trying to escape. The next shift was coming down, and so these men hollered up to the these workers that were coming down for the shift change and said, "Stop! There's there's a, there's flood. Go back up and." So they, in essence, saved those men's lives rather than plummeting into their death. They went back up and and they were saved and and now, trapped underground these these nine miners began to work together, sharing everything in common: a sandwich, a drink uh, they They huddled together to to stay warm as they were in the water all those hours. Uh, they even took turns there was a little dry piece. Of of land that they, uh, one could crawl up on at a time, and they would take turns. They eventually tied themselves together, though, just to make sure that no one would become unconscious and float away. And they sort of made a commitment to one another that we either we all live, or we all die. And when the public learned of the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say the response was, Glory! Wow, how magnificent! Well, brothers and sisters, we learn from Paul's words that our calling as a Christian is very similar to this, but even greater attributes if it's genuine faith in Christ. That we are people who are willing to lay down our lives, to die to ourselves and our own desires. That we... Uh, are willing to focus upon others, So we are compelled not just by our own abilities, but we are able to do things even greater than what we would do humanly speaking because the Spirit of God works in our heart and reminds us of the grace that we have. And so we wrap our arms around those that we go and we share the gospel with that might spit in our face, that might mock us for being Christians, that might uh, you know, be angry on the internet as we enter conversations, whatever it might be, but we continue to show the love of Christ for two reasons. One of all, because of the grace that God has shown to us, but also because we are aware of a watching world. And it's not just the world that watches, but it's all of creation watches uh, as we see God manifesting His glory through the church as we see exhibited in His body the grace of God in a corporate way. Amen? Let's bow our heads as we reflect upon His word this morning. Jesus, as we reflect upon this passage this morning, the words that come to mind are that hymn, Wonderful Grace of Jesus greater than all my sins. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have worked and and you are working in the the lives and the hearts of your people. Um, God, let us never forget that grace, that the things that we see done in our hearts, the way that we are changing, the lives that we are living do not come because we're so much more special than anybody else but we are just blessed of you. You are just working in our hearts to make us less selfish. God, that you are giving us a love for other people. And I pray that you would continue to do so in our church and in our hearts. Uh, Father, we we pray uh, for not only our church, but the other churches in our community as well. Lord, that the love of Jesus would be seen in them that as people look at the church, that their mouths would be shut up, that when they want to accuse Christians of being, and then you fill in the blank, whatever they might say in a derogatory way, I pray, Lord, instead that they would say, wow, those people are different. Those people are gracious. Those people love even the unlovely. Lord, help us to love others and to proclaim to others the message that you have done in giving to us you pursued us when we did not love you you never gave up God let us be the same as we show the love of Christ to others Lord I pray for any that may not know you here today or that may be struggling in their faith God I pray that they would understand that they don't have to make their life better to come to you You want us to come to you just as we are. You're the one that will do the changing. God, help us to lay everything at the foot of the cross and to trust and to believe in you alone for our salvation. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.